Welcome to this episode of The Authentic Advisor, which discusses and debates the hot topics impacting business advisors globally. My name is James Mason. I'm joined today to talk about coaching leaders by Mindshot's founder and chairman, Mr. Chris Mason. Chris has over his career coached thousands of business leaders ranging from those running multi-billion dollar corporates to owners of small micro businesses. So it's certainly well-placed to share his insights on the topic today. So thanks for being part of the podcast, Chris. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yeah, great to have you on on uh, online with one of these finally. Uh, we've run quite a few in the series, so uh, had to get to you at some stage. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, really looking forward to this topic because uh, obviously over the last few decades, as I said earlier, you've coached thousands of business leaders, but obviously guided the success of thousands of senior advisors, whether they're in professional service firms or independent advisors. So interested in what you've seen change um, and maybe what hasn't changed over that time in coaching leaders. Yeah, I think probably what's changed the most is the obvious one, which is the use of technology. I mean, when I first started, we were still coping with mobile phones and laptop computers. But the uh, use of technology certainly made it easier and and enabled uh, every coach, including myself, to be better leveraged. With regard to what's not changed, probably the key success factor has always been and and remains is making sure you understand and work with the person you're coaching to get their mindset in the right place, because that still seems to be the biggest barrier is getting people to see themselves as good as I often can see them, uh, they're not yet to be convinced. So yeah, that's, that would be the thing that hasn't changed. And and I assume through COVID, you've probably in a lot of the piece, people you've coached um, seen that mindset side of things be challenged even, even further, I'd assume. Well, I think they realise that if they can't get their mindset right, they're going to have difficulty with their teams. Uh, and that seems particularly right now, I mean, just about every call talks about um, concerns about mindset and behaviours and performance of uh, their employees and, and other people they work with. Yeah, it's a challenging environment for a, a coach. So with that in mind, what are the attributes that you'd see in a great coach to, you know, especially senior leaders at the moment? I think one of the things you've got to have is spare energy. Um, and I mean, like everyone, you're not always on a on day, but you need to just put that to one side and and put yourself in the right mindset to be able to be energetic and enthusiastic and and give encouragement. Um, But having said that, you also need to be challenging um, because people will uh, not tend to challenge themselves if they're not quite coping. And and when they respect you, and often they do when you're their coach, uh, that that desire for them to want to respect you means they don't always tell you the truth because they want you to think well of them. So you need to challenge and ask really good questions. I think you have to build trust pretty quickly. Um, The longer it takes, the longer longer it'll be before you actually get to the real issues. Um, Obviously, you've got to provide high value. Um, You can do that by making sure you don't just ad lib all the time that uh, I find when I'm not sure what to do, resorting to a mind shop tool is a a good safe uh, option to take. So make sure you're using best practice tools and that you're fluent with them. And I think You've got to leverage your experience. People want to know the war stories and particularly the current ones, what's happening now around the world. That that comes out in almost every call I have. And of course, the, the good news is if you coach lots of, lots of people, then you get lots of that experience. So that, that'd be the key attributes that come to mind. 
and, and you coach hundreds of people um, each week, each month. Uh, you're using technology, obviously, to get a greater scale and leverage in what you're doing. And what are some of the technologies that you're using to maximise your time? Well, I, I'm trying to keep the actual call, so Zoom calls and things like that in Teams, um, to an absolute minimum because I'm, I'm not sure it always provides focus enough. Um, it get, you can get distracted easily. Whereas if you're using uh, some online type technology like the, our Mindshot platform's a good example, that helps me share resources very quickly. And I find that quite often I'm making notes to myself as, as I have with the calls I've already had today to, to make sure that I promise to do stuff. And I, I always do it on that day while it's you know, fresh in their mind and, and important to them. And I've got time to go away and reflect on what we were talking about and provide quite insightful, hopefully, uh, insights onto what they should be thinking about doing or, or what I agree to do and what they agree to do. Um, and so the platform is one thing. I Personally, I use things like dictation software. Uh, I can make videos very quickly. I can build diagnostics in just you know, 30 minutes or so using the Mindshop um, process for that. So they're the things that make sure that I'm scaling and leveraging myself. And the KPI that I use for that is um, the number of people I coach, which I think at the moment is 148. But I then monitor my average hours per month, not every month, but every six months. I just keep a look at that to make sure I'm not just throwing time at stuff that I want to do as much but with less time, because that means I'm efficient. And if I'm efficient, then my clients will think I'm efficient as well. Yeah, because I know in your process, you know, with all the great software that you're using, you're also quite um, particular about taking lots of notes as well, which I assume would help you in uh, leading into the next meetings each time as well. And if I think of something in between meetings, I go into that handwritten notes area where I then write down the reminder for the next meeting and put a yellow highlighter on it so that when I get in to do my pre-reading before the call, I go, oh, that's right, I'm supposed to do that. Because with 148 people, sometimes the details merge a bit. So it's critical to have those software um, enhancements to be able to make sure you're completely on, on track and you get up to speed very, very fast at the yeah, start and of each call. And, and I, right. I just try and do as much as I can online during the call so that when I'm clear of the call, I try and keep what has to happen after that to a minimum. Yeah, and, and that's leading by example with the right habits, which I know you've got as well. Um, and, and you know, I find with people with technology, uh, not everybody loves it. Uh, I know you're an, an early adopter, so you're all over the technology. But is there anything you uh, attempt to, for those that push back and say, look, I just don't want to use the technology or don't get back to you quickly that keeps you leveraged and obviously helps them? Um, yeah, I, I will often duplicate, like I was talking to someone this morning uh, in the US, and I, I know that she's not a great user of the platform, and I knew I had information that she really needed, and I said, you know, while she was on camera, I said, and I'm putting this in the platform because I know that you're not in there enough, and so I, I want to encourage you to do that. So you, you got to call them out on it. Um, they often take the easiest for them and they, they're into old habits rather than new habits. And I can encourage them to be more leveraged if I, I almost not force them is too strong a word, but strongly encourage them 
to actually adapt that new technology, uh, even though they might be resisting. But it doesn't worry me. I, I, I'm often find I'm I'm posting something on the Mindshot platform, but then I'll email it as well to say this is what I just po you know posted. So I, I will double up, but I mean I'm not doing that with everyone. But if I see there's any resistance there, I, I try and make it easy, but still without damaging my own principles and and ideals that I want to uh, be a coach and be held to. And especially with everybody so busy and um, a bit fatigued post-COVID, um, I guess you've got to continue to halve the size. I know it was a, a mindset that you embrace as well for people to actually get things done. I do. I do um, try to share the responsibility for getting things done. Um, I also know that I have to be of value. So I was talking to someone again this morning, a different person, that's uh, doing... 180 to 100 hours a week, which is too much, but it's something we just have to do at the moment. But he still wanted to have calls with me um, because he must perceive that I'm actually providing value. And you must do that. People won't have calls for the sake of it. You've got to earn the right to have those calls. So you've got to be good. And that means you've got to have good focus, know exactly what issues they're facing and then be their one source, the best source of how to fix that and that's not easy but that's why even the coaches have coaches so that we can actually uh, as a tag team you know collaborate on uh, finding those best answers uh, for every client yeah which links in with the point you made earlier around good energy you want to be that energy giver rather than the energy vampire on those those calls and and I, I, you know having a good approach helps with that as well. So what's what's your current approach to coaching, you know, whether it's the tools and approaches and 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 just any tips you've got that others could take on board if they're looking to improve their coaching approach with leaders in the market? Well, some of these may seem a little bit basic, but uh, if I think about your question, I like to get into the office really early, like maybe 5, 5.30, as I was today. I was in here at 5. And the first job is to look at what's coming overnight and deal with it. I allow 30 minutes. It's almost like I'm warming myself up, getting up to speed before that first call. I don't want to go into the first call as my first job. So I deal with using my dictation software. I deal with 99% of the time I can get everything done that came in overnight. So responding to emails, coaching posts, all that. Um, and if I've got something that takes a bit longer, I might just send a quick one, say, look, I'm on to this in the next two hours. I'm in calls now, but as soon as I'm done, I'll get you an answer for that. Uh, another approach I use is um, to make it a little bit more positive because at the moment there is some, in people's perceptions, a lot of negative noise around. I talk about what's working and what's not. So yeah, I'm covering the what's not, but I also want to get them to realize there is a lot of good things happening, a lot of opportunities. So we need to focus on the good as well as, I guess in inverted commas, the bad. It's, it's much like a SWOT analysis, but I think it's a, a, a lot more conversational. You know, it's a simple question. So what's working for you at the moment? That's how I start. And they go, well, is there anything that you would like some help with? Which is my way of asking what's not working. And then I'm straight onto it. And as in their answers, I'm listening for what a psychologist would term you know, irrational beliefs. So if I hear words like I can't, it won't, uh, then I try to really gently reprogram that to a more rational belief by saying, what I found is you can do this. Or I was talking to a guy yesterday who, who found what he does is, 
And that's really reprogramming and trying to stop that negative self-talk, which when they're at home, working at home, maybe not back in the office, and they're hearing themselves say that all day, they start believing it. That's so, you, so you use war stories to help with that as well, do you? I, I think it's important. Uh, people like, I mean, it's it's how that was done, you know, hundreds of years ago, that went, even before writing, everyone told stories. And I don't think that people like to have the emotional connection. I think it's hard unless you're a really accomplished author to be able to write in that way, but you can speak in that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think the last point I'd make on the current approach would be stop looking for the silver bullet. Uh, it's, it's more important to keep it simple. I'm finding it might be a bit repetitive. I never find it boring, but you know, if I just mind map Pareto, brainstorm some answers, even the hardest issues I can fix that way. So I'm not trying to show off or entertain myself by trying some really sophisticated strategic way of fixing something keeping it simple is often the best way and, and a way that the your client can fully understand yeah so obviously the the need arises you're delving off into specific tools or initiatives or sending them something more detailed by way of a tool or an insight or a paper aren't you well i'm often doing it and i, I purposely either write it on my ipad is where I normally do. But if I think I need a bit more space than that again, write it on a piece of paper. And then I'll find that I'm holding it up to the camera and or I'm actually taking a photograph and emailing to them. And, and particularly when it's international, it might take 20 seconds to get through. I, I talk about something else. And they, have you got it now? Yep. Have you opened it? Yep. And I did that probably five times already today where I'm actually sending them stuff, getting them to open it and having a conversation about whatever I sent. Yeah. And, and do you end up with, you know, the cliche three key issues that they're focusing on? I, I tend to find with a lot of people that coach leaders, it's a, you know, 75 step process with uh, 50 actions and KPIs and, and complexity there. I, I just don't find people have got the headspace for it at the moment. So I assume you're um, still using the, okay, what do we need to work on next? And then rebooking the next meeting? Uh, I definitely make sure I book every next meeting before I leave. It's a habit. The other thing is I'm finding, and if I think back even the course today, I was only um, trying to find one thing to work on okay. between now and the next call, not three even, uh, just one. And then uh, what I did was say, I will post something on that today. And if you and I can actually make sure that we actually put comments and thoughts in there before our next meeting, we can save a lot of time. And then I added, would you like me to remind you uh, to do that? And the answer was, no, I can do that. Okay. But of course, every time I post something there, they'll, they'll get notified and they, that'll remind them to go in and, and add their thoughts. So I just, I don't like as much of just having a meeting today and then nothing happens till the next month. It's just, to, in my mind, I've just wasted a month. Look, what If it's that important, is the number one issue, why aren't we working on it consistently? And our systems cope with that. If I'm you know, in that first half hour of the day, keep responding to people then we can keep momentum going. Okay. And, and are there any common themes that you're seeing or big challenges that advisors are needing to help leaders with over the, the coming years that you're hearing come up time and time again? Well, at now in April, you know, 2021, there's three things I'm hearing, but they really are one big issue. But the three things I hear uh, at the moment globally are performance management issues, then attraction of good people and retention of good people. Now, if you think about those three items, so performance management, attraction, retention, they're really capacity issues. Everyone's having capacity issues at the moment. But 
the number one standout is the performance management. People are, some people are running at productivity levels at 60% and they're unsure what to do about it because they don't know where to allocate the responsibility or even blame for why this is happening. What, why is it happening? No one's sure. So everyone's just backing off and being very cautious, which then locks that poor performance into almost a habit if it's mm. gone long enough and it's been going 14, 15 months now. So some people are just in the habit of not doing much and getting away with it. So that that's one big thing. And how I can try and get a, a break in that, that uh, momentum is to pull them up on what between the difference between what's busy activity and, and behaviours and focus on the strategic and the productive and what leverages them. So people are, I see people doing the soft issues and they admit to it. I had someone write to me today. I'm sorry, I'm, you're, I'm really pleased you called me out. It is my responsibility. Um, but I just, I made the statement in the post. Look, I think you're busy, but you're not achieving much. Uh, is there anything I should be doing? Because if it's my responsibility, then I can, I've got control. And, and he came back, nah, it's not you, it's me. And at least I was able to go back and say, well, isn't that great that you've realised that no one else but you and I know this. Uh, and I look forward to our next call. So, but I called him out. He admitted the responsibility and we're on to it. And, and part of that is because people are procrastinating at the moment. And the logic behind that is it's almost a fear of failure. And he admitted, the same guy admitted in his um, email to me today that uh, it's because he's uncertain of what to do. And so if I can help him with that certainty, problem solved. And I'm not talking to anyone else about it. So it's between him and I and we get on and fix it. And, you know, he's got tremendous potential, um, but just a bit stuck by the all the uh, problems that COVID is creating just at the moment. So, yeah. Well, and, and as a coach, if you're not addressing some of these challenges you can't get onto the strategic stuff and and these are the the art if you like of, of being able to be attractive to a senior leader at the moment the ability to challenge them but respectfully and not just you know relating to war stories from you know 20 years ago to actually roll up the sleeves and say right, right let's let's co-create and problem solve this this together that that challenging nature to a coach seems to be a, a real competitive advantage for for advisors yeah uh, it only works if if you have respect of course if they don't respect you, you can challenge all your life, nothing will happen. But if they are respectful of you and you challenge them like this young man did today, just, you know, admitted liability and, and is getting on with it and problem solved. It won't mm. it won't come up again. Yeah, and that's um, a good point because yeah. respect and, and trust alongside that. You, you do see a lot of advisors have a process and they push forward with that before they earn respect and trust and and as you quite rightly say it it goes nowhere and potentially they're out of that engagement quite quickly um so it's something to be quite um mindful of yeah and i think the trust thing is that a, a, the breaching of the trust is important I, I purposely made the point that no one else but you and i knows this has happened mm. so in the story like doesn't matter does it because yeah. um yeah we're getting on and fixing it and that's the important thing Okay, well, some some great insights there on, on coaching. And and to finish off with, I just had a few quick authentic advisor questions to gather your broad insights, you know, knowing you've seen so much over the many uh, decades. Uh, so interested in what's the biggest mistake you see advisors make when they coach leaders at the moment? Well, I, th I think we worry about the wrong things. You know, we're, we're often 
worrying about symptoms rather than the root cause. They're not being strategic enough and they're not seeing the longer term. I understand we need to fix short-term issues, but if the root cause is long-term, then not fixing it is a missed opportunity. So I think it's a primary reason why people at the moment are not doing what they say when they say, and that's what we have to stop because that's linked to personal confidence, self-confidence. If, if they're not, if they know in their heart, they're not doing the right thing. It does destroy and erode their confidence. So we need to get them back on the success path as soon as we can. So make sure they work on the right things. And if there's one thing you could do differently on your coaching journey to date, uh, what would that be? Well, that one's easy for me um, is to be a, a better listener. Um, the way I justify it in my head is that I've got lots to do. Um, I want to provide value, but I want to help lots of people. So the sooner we get onto the matter um, and I, I, I perceive that, yeah, I've worked out what the issue is. Now listen to me tell you, whereas I should take a bit more time to get their engagement and commitment to it by listening. And also when they've got issues, the more they can talk about it, it almost erodes the problem a bit. It's like yeah. there's a certain amount they have to use up. So talking to me is a, is a, a good way of using up and I probably don't, provide people quite enough opportunity to do that because I'm always, you know, back to back um, and trying to keep my calls to, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And that means sometimes you've got to rush, which I regret. And the number one tip for advisors to be more successful? I think it's to be more authentic. Um, you don't have to be perfect. You just got to be you. Um, but the thing I'm saying 10 times a day is I've never seen the opportunities that we're getting now and it's happening everywhere for growth in my whole working lifetime, which has been a long time. But I think the next three years are going to be absolutely amazing for those on the front foot who are not just sitting there worrying about their own problems, but getting out, talking to their clients, offering help. Uh, you'll get overwhelmed with opportunities. And my advice is accept it. And we worry about capacity later. We can sort that out, but grab the opportunities because if these people want to make a change, and they make it with someone other than you, they're not going to make it again for five years. So this is your big opportunity to win new work, do better work and grow and prosper. And the next three years will be your time. Yeah, I agree with that. You're certainly seeing green shoots everywhere at the moment. So uh, fantastic. No, well, great insights today, Chris, and really appreciate your thoughts on everything to do with coaching leaders. And uh, I'm sure there's lots that people can take away. So thanks again for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me.